Welcome to the show. You are now part of the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Today, we get to hang out with Patty McCord, who was at the Revenue Success Summit, Gong's first annual conference. And I'll be honest, I think she kind of stole the show. Oh, yeah. She was such a strong, inspirational female leader. It was great to hear from her and even more special to talk to her one-on-one. I only got to hang out there for two minutes after her presentation because uh, I was hanging out backstage, getting people prepped, and she didn't show up backstage until literally 60 seconds before uh, she was going to go on. And I was really nervous. I'm texting our event manager and I'm like, dude, we got to get this lady in here. She walked into backstage so confidently. She like knew how to get mic'd up. She like, she wasn't even worried at all. And then she rocked the stage and then I got to hang out with her after for a couple minutes and she is just badass. Oh yeah. Super confident, very charismatic. Uh, I, I thought the CRO panel was my favorite, but I don't know. Patty McCord makes it a tight race. Yeah, I think part of her experience also just doubles down and makes her great. So her being at Netflix from when they were still sending DVDs Mm -hmm. to your home to taking it to the cloud and growing the team that was needed for that, that's hard work. She was at Netflix when I was still going to Blockbuster, I think. (laughs) Yeah, when it still existed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so she was the, what, chief talent officer for 14 years. She created the Netflix culture deck, I believe is what it's called, which was uh, essentially, you know, document outlining how she runs culture there. And it's been downloaded 20 million times. I remember I was, I used to work at LinkedIn. That was the first time when I I saw that deck and it was spreading like wildfire throughout the tech community. That's rad. Uh, Well, cool. Let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it to the person who keeps it so real, Patty McCord. Hi, everybody. This is Sheena Badani with Gong, and we are here at Celebrate, our first industry conference in the beautiful SF Jazz here in San Francisco. And I am honored to be joined by Patty McCord, who is the author of the book Powerful. She was also the former chief talent officer at Netflix for many years. So thank you very much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. It's a great day today. Everybody was raving about your talk, um, and I heard there were a lot of interesting messages, a lot of great take-home tactics. Mm. Uh, Maybe you could just give a brief synopsis of what you talked about today. Oh, that's hard to do. (laughs) Or your favorite parts Uh, of the talk. uh, My favorite parts of the talk are always when, um, I always kind of like the end when I tell people to go home and throw something away that doesn't work because we tend to think about the way we manage people as the next new thing and the next new thing and the next new thing and... And when I talk with HR people, they, I say, you know, when you use the term best practices, it just means what everybody else does, 
right? Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. don't measure it. We don't. So I love the part about if you really want to be best, right? If you really want to do things that are different and innovative, then you have to stop doing the things that you've always done that don't work. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. product people don't know that, and so it usually resonates with salespeople and product people where I'm speaking to them in a language they understand, which is what's how do we create the best environment for the customer? Well, we create great teams that great great product, mm -hmm. and so working that way, that's kind of my methodology. I try and teach people like start begin with the end in mind and work back to the team you have, and that's how you build great teams. Do you have a couple of examples of those things that you can kind of like throw away that may be extra overhead for the team? Oh, you know, um, it's funny because when companies get bigger, particularly after an IPO, right? So now all of a sudden you have to be grown up and now you have to have um, checks and balances and you have to have permissions and you have to have guidelines and rules. And so nobody ever steps back and says, well, um, we have to get approval from someone in finance to spend more than $10,000. And for me, I looked around and went, well, pretty much everybody's got a PhD in math, so they kind of know what greater than 10,000 is. And right. so <laughs> what I'm actually telling them to do is to create three invoices for $9,000 to spend what they need to spend. And that the person in finance whose job it is to approve, the truth is, if your job it is, is to approve something, you get your power from saying no. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. You don't ever go home and go, I proved everything came across my desk today, right? You're like, right. well, I told those engineers they couldn't spend it because it was $11,000, right? <laughs> and so you have to rethink that. That's an example of how I had to rethink it and say, you know what I need, what we need as an organization is we need the finance people embedded in the teams so they can say, just heads up, we budgeted for $10,000, but our run rate's eleven five. Mm -hmm. How do we think about that, right? Mm -hmm. And which is a way for everybody to own all the components of the business, mm -hmm. not just finance as the numbers and product as the sales guys, right? So we yeah. all know that we're all collaborative now. So I just want to have systems and structure in place that support collaboration, not support the old way of working, so we have to fight it all the time. Definitely, how do you work together as a team and we're in this together? Yeah. So critical. Yeah. Rather, rather than thinking about it as silos and individual Yeah, teams. and even that word is so old school, right? I mean, where do we get silos from? IBM? I mean, yeah, you know. Manufacturing see, or something? I, I have to tell you the story. So I'm interviewed by a, a reporter from The Guardian. He's like, you know, oh, Patsy, you know, your way of thinking is so refreshing and it's so new. I mean, when did you start to notice this change in the workplace? I'm like, uh, my entire working life, and I'm kind of old. And he goes, no, 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 I think it's much more recent than that. And I said, well, you agree with me, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, when did you start noticing? He's like, oh, I think it was quite recent, like the mid-80s. And I'm like, dude, it's 2019. <laughs> We're talking decades here, right? But we don't. You don't think about it. We don't flies think by, about I guess. it that way. Yeah, yeah it's sure. like, well, everybody else does it, so it must be right. Exactly. Um, so in your book, one of your key themes is around empowering people with freedom and responsibility to make choices. Yeah. Can you describe what does that actually look and feel like for an individual contributor or for a manager? Right. Well, so what I t said in my talk today is that we don't empower anybody. We take it away. So you already have power. So I don't have to give it to you. I just need to make sure that you have the the context of the business that you understand it deeply enough so that you're going to make wise decisions mm -hmm. and you're going to have the freedom to make a lot of decisions. So, um, you know, honestly, I think that if I could uh, recommend a training class for everybody in the company, and I literally mean everyone. I mean, if you mm -hmm. have a product that you have a warehouse or a driver, you teach everybody how to read a profit loss statement. 
Yep. You teach people how you make money, how your business works, how it interacts. What's the difference between revenue and profit? Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I have interviewed people where they're like, okay, wait a minute. Okay. So, okay. Okay. You can have revenue without profit, but not profit without revenue. I'm like, <laughs> like but yeah. But people don't learn that, and they don't learn right. that early on. And so once you understand the mechanics of how you make money and what your product is and what makes a happy customer and how revenue comes in and what your expenses are, then you can make the right decisions even about how you operate every day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you have the responsibility to also make suggestions about how it could be better. Right. I mean, so the story I just told you about the finance person came from somebody who said to me, well, if we sat in their meetings, we'd know what they were doing. I'm like, well, let's make that happen. Why don't we do that? Right. So freedom of responsibility is about a assuming that you are a responsible adult Mm -hmm. and that you're very smart and that you're going to do the right thing. So the other thing is we've spent an awful lot of time protecting ourselves from the evil employees that might sue us <laughs> while making them extraordinarily happy so they won't leave. I mean, when I talk to HR people, I'm like, does that sound schizophrenic to you? Because it does to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, an evil employee sue companies because they're mad and they don't feel like they've been treated fairly. So, you know, here's a way to avoid that. Don't. Yeah. So holding people accountable is something that, you know, Gong certainly helps people do because of data and information, Mm -hmm. right? And so people can't be held accountable unless they actually know how they're going to be measured and what success looks like. So I think in the modern day, we have so many tools to help people really know how they're doing and what they need to do to be successful without having somebody tell tell them what to do. So this, this new way of doing things based on freedom, responsibility, do you think that is a top-down initiative and shift in way of operating, or can it be something that employees themselves can drive? How can we get this uh, new operating mode into our companies? I kind of hate the words top-down, yeah. right? Um, because, <laughs> of course, it has to be top-down. I mean, you can't have a new way of operating unless the leaders of the company understand it and really believe in it and want to do it. But the leaders of the company have to also be responsible for making sure that their messaging is understood by literally everybody in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just saying that it, rather than the water always flows downhill, what if we were all in the same lake together, right? What mm-hmm. if we all felt like we were part of it? And that's context again. That's that's constantly talking to people yep. about what we're doing, how we're doing, um, how the teams are operating, measuring those things, you know, being clear about where we're going, being clear about what's changing, mm-hmm. right? And also being clear about what's not working. Working. I mean, one of the things I learned from working with engineers in the Silicon Valley my whole life is they do this thing called code review, and they stop, and they take a break, and they say, wow, what worked and what didn't work, right? Mm-hmm. What do we learn from that? And I always say, you know, it's uh, my Texas mama says, the difference between a wise man and a fool is that the wise man doesn't make the same mistake twice, right? Yeah. So some of it is about just teaching each other how to be reflective. So we, as an organization, learn because, you know, we're all making stuff up. And the thing is, particularly in early stage startups, most of the decisions you make and the things you do fail, mm-hmm. right? It's like your whiteboards are full of like, not that, not that, not that, because you don't know. If somebody else could tell you how to do it, they'd already be doing it. Mm-hmm. So there's that idea that you build that sort of self-housekeeping cleansing into your organization, which is constantly looking at what's working, what's not, 
right? How do we change the not to do? And if what's working now, will it still work mm -hmm. when we're successful? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, there's the other thing about culture I hear a lot. Um, we have a perfect culture and we're all bought in. And so what we need from you is like, how do we keep it? I'm like, well, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> because what you're going to look like as a successful company at 100 people is absolutely not the same company as 1,000. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not, right? Yeah. So things will change. And so I want organizations to not like be able to cope with change and have change agents and manage change. I want them to say, wow, this is great, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Things are different. What a, what a great opportunity. Right. Um, on that note, yeah. um, so you were at Netflix for many years. Maybe you could talk a bit about what did that transformation look like while <laughs> you were there? And if you could go back in time and change anything, would you? You know, I used to say uh, before Netflix, my average tenure at a job was about four to five years. And I kind of looked at it as my degrees, right? And I would think in about four years, I'd kind of figure the business out and then I'd get bored. And when I get bored, I have two two uh, mo modes of operating, fire mm -hmm. me or promote me. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd usually escape before it got to the fire me part. Um, <laughs> and I always say at Netflix, I was really lucky because I got to have three companies without leaving home. So the first company, first four or five years at Netflix were, could we come up with a business model that might eventually make money? And I'm not kidding. It took like four years to figure that mm -hmm. out. It was, we were burning money a lot. The second five years was DVD by mail. Mm -hmm. And the third five years was about the transition, particularly the technical transition to digital streaming. And at the same time, we had a team of people that were working on original content. Sure. So I left Netflix right at House of Cards. Okay. And and so the next Netflix company, um, which I wasn't at, which I left, was the the birth of original content at Netflix. Then came global original content, right? And now, you know, world domination. I don't know what <laughs> Netflix calls it now. But, um, so lots of changes. I mean, in those, the, the three companies I'm describing to you that I was part of were literally three completely different companies. Mm -hmm. Completely different. I mean, DVD by mail was a physical good that we shipped through the U.S. Postal Service, and the website was hosted on a data center. Yeah. Right? And yeah, when we started so DVD by mail, the idea that you would be streaming a movie on your phone was just not known, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so the oftentimes at Netflix, our challenge was waiting for the technology to catch up with our dreams. Yeah. Right. And I said to somebody earlier today, the thing as a leader, if you're going to be in an innovative company like that, what I realized was we could not let the team we had stand between us and the opportunity that was before us. Mm -hmm. Right. It was about always building for the future, which often meant a completely different group of people because yeah. the task was completely different. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that was sort of, I mean, I can, I have a million examples of, uh, you know, one great one is um, we've grown 30% quarter over quarter, three quarters in a row. And we're doing an executive staff meeting. We're like, well, what if it kept up? You mm -hmm. know, maybe we shouldn't talk about what if it goes to hell? What if it, what if it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. And our CFO goes to the whiteboard and he's doing the, the revenue numbers and he's like happy dancing. I mean, it's so much <laughs> money, right? And at the time we used to say, someday we'll be as big as HBO, Someday. <laughs> right? And, and Ted, our content guy, looks at the revenue numbers. He's like, you guys, it's next year. 
like we could be HBO Let's next see. year. And we were like, get out, right? And our head of product says, that's a third of the US internet bandwidth. And we're like, what? Wow. <laughs> so we had, because wow. we had a data center. Yeah. We were shipping DVDs, right? Yeah. So this had to be in the cloud. And, and you know, we had to go back and say, oh my God. We have to introduce a completely new technology, completely new set of skills, a completely new way of operating, possibly in nine months, mm -hmm, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So it was the sort of series of like constant little opportunity bombs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so everything we know won't work. Right, right. So how do you think about that for, you know, I think a lot of companies go through that almost like rebirth, transformation, um, you know, shifting into a new market. And how do you think about taking people You'll get people gray you hair, are? too. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> I already have too many. Yes. No, but I mean, it's, it's called evolving. Yeah. How can you enable the people you already have to move with you to this new Sometimes vision? you can't. You can't. Right. Yeah. Some, sometimes yeah. you can't because it's a completely different skill set, a completely different set of people. And you're not constrained because they're not good people. You're yeah. constrained by time. Yes. Right? So it's not the example that I gave you about operating in the cloud. It's not that we didn't have brilliant IT people. We did. They were amazing. Mm -hmm. you know, and when we went to them and said, here's the situation, what do you guys think? They said, go exec something, we'll build the cloud. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, if anybody could do it, it's you guys, but not in nine months. Yeah. We just, we just couldn't do it. We hadn't seen that kind of scale. We had to go somewhere where somebody, and nobody had seen that kind sure. of scale. But there were certainly other companies and people that were ahead of us. Yes. So that wasn't a matter of like, we couldn't enable them. They weren't able. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's not that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that team. Yeah. Right. So that's the other part is we sort of have this language that says, if we don't enable you to be successful, you will fail mm -hmm. instead of, OK, let's get clear about what the future looks like and see if that's a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And it won't always be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's just fine. Right. For those people or, or other people, how do you help them find what they're passion or like their next best calling maybe I say you want to be a great place to be from and what I tell managers is you want to look at everything that you do with your team as a resume worthy project right so you want to describe it that way and you want to be able to say when something's done or when something's working yeah wow this is something that's going to matter that you've been part of. And so you want to make sure that you, as we, we start talking about this, this you will leverage in your career. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily have to prescribe to you what your right next thing would be. Yeah. I might if there's another right next thing for you in the company. But if there's not, then we can certainly go, wow, who could really use your expertise now that you know how to do this? That's a great way to look at it. I love that. Right. And so then you can go somewhere else maybe and jumpstart it. The, yeah. the story of my IT team that I just told you about, yeah. they all went to a company, literally, most of them went to a company called Chegg, mm -hmm. which was Netflix for textbooks. Mm -hmm. And they and I'm like, are you guys still mad that you know it didn't work out? They're like, are you kidding? We walked in knowing what we know, right? I mean, we could just take all of those mistakes somebody else would have made and just not made them. I mean, we could take it from there to right. the next level of what we were really good at doing, which is shipping physical goods, right? Yeah. So, you know, and and it's not just you ask the question in a way that says, what can companies do to enable mm -hmm. their employees? And mm -hmm. I want to turn it around and say, what are you going to do? Yeah, take with, ownership. With your career. Yeah. It's your life. Yeah, totally. Right? Totally. So you own it. It's not 50%. You own 100% of it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if it's not working out for you and you don't feel like you're, go ahead. Right? That's what you should do. Yeah.
All right, everyone, in every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. According to a CB Insights poll, assembling the wrong team is why 23% of startups fail, the third highest reason just behind no market need and ran out of cash. So while investors can often help with the second most common reason startups fail, not enough money, successful companies need a team to turn cash into success and execute on strategic plans. That means resources aren't enough. You need the right team in place to maximize the opportunity at hand and win your market or successfully create a new one. If you don't, according to the US Department of Labor, the average cost of a bad hire can equal 30% of an individual's first year potential earnings. This doesn't even include the impact of lost wages for all the employees in the company that helped onboard and enable that employee, managers, peers, and other folks on the team. Replacing salaried employees costs $7,000 and up to $40,000 to replace a senior executive. Imagine hiring 10 reps in 2020 and three don't work out. That's 90K burned up, gone. You know, when I talk to women, and I think this is one of the things you're going to ask me about. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, when I talk to women's groups, I say, look, when your company does the engagement survey, they didn't put a ring on it, <laughs> right? You're not married to them. And yeah. oh, by the way, interviewing with somebody else is not cheating on your husband. And if you want to know what you're worth, go interview. Yeah. And everybody should interview. I mm -hmm. think it's a really good thing. It's a good skill you're going to need for the rest of your life. And the other thing is that you'll tell a stranger what you want. Right. You don't tell your boss because mm -hmm. you've already got all this stuff built oh, in. Yeah. But but a lot of times, you know, when I would see employees that are unhappy, I'd say, you know, go go interview. Go over and go over and talk to the Facebook folks. Are you saying you want me to leave? I'm like, but you sound like you might. And the grass might be greener. Go find out if they have an opportunity that right. we can't give you. I want you to be successful. And if it can't be here, then but, you know, 50 percent of the time when I would encourage people to do that, they'd come back and go, I'm actually pretty good. And I think it probably helps them realize, like, what they actually want and don't want, like, yeah. going through that process. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, we should all be doing that all of the time. And so the other thing I tell women is, you know, if you're sitting around five or six years waiting for your company to realize they're not paying you fairly, they're not going to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're not just going to wake up one day and go, oops, <laughs> so yeah. vote with your feet. Yep. Pay is market-based. You know, if you're stuck in a situation where you can't get what you're worth, then don't do that anymore. That's just kind of dumb. Right, right. Uh, what are your What are your uh, thoughts for leaders who are trying to hire a more diverse team? It's uh, hard work. Yeah. They got to work harder at it. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I I was at a, a CEO dinner with a bunch of very early startup CEOs, and one of them was a woman. She said, "You don't know how hard it is to find technical talent in the Bay Area. I mean, it's just it's just a it's a war for talent, and there's just not enough good people. And how do we do? How do I do it? You know, I have a little company. How do I compete? And I said, "Why don't you just hire women for a year?" Yeah. And she said, well, you know, technical, great technical women aren't crossing my desk. I'm like, and great technical men are walking across your desk? <laughs> <laughs> like, you mean your recruiters aren't giving you resumes of what you believe to be qualified technical women? Yes. I'm like, okay, how many people in your company? 70. I'm like, okay, get a pad of paper, meet with each person, say, who's the best woman you've ever worked with? Mm -hmm. Write down their names, get their contact information, bring them in and interview them. You will hire somebody. Right. Right. You have to put in the work and the time and the effort and the mind share. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, you can't undo it later because great technical women walk in and go, yeah, I'm not going to hang out with all these bros. 
Yeah. Just, you know, it's like, I want to be an adult and like, I'm just not going to be into the bartender playing pool yeah. at three o'clock in the afternoon. I got other things that are important. You know, the other thing I think that's going to change it, that I've already seen change in the company, and I go to companies all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just great tech talent anymore. It's not just great sales talent. It's not just great marketing talent. It's, there's just, um, there's not enough great people for the jobs that we have yeah. and so if we're going to ignore half of the talent on the base of their genitals that's just dumb right so it's just it's a necessary thing to just be able to cast your net as wide as you can yeah. the second thing and I talked about it in my talk here today is the makeup of your organization should reflect your customers yes Right. I mean, you know, you think about all of the things that are happening now, you know, wonder if those with social media, for example, yeah. I wonder if that had been different if there had been a more diverse group of people making that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. A more diverse group of people going, that's really offensive. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, yeah. you know, that's not data. That's that's nasty. Right. <laughs> right. Well, very true. So, I mean, for all of us, uh, if you don't already have diverse customer bases you will so it's just all going to come around right so and it just makes better teams and you want a lot of people from different ways of thinking and ways of looking at the world to contribute to what you're making because it just makes it more fun for yeah. one thing and I think um, a mistake that a lot of companies make is oh we'll think about diversity when we grow up you know after we raise our B or C whatever you know when we're big enough and we are hiring at that volume but I think it's something that has to be part of your DNA from day one. Yeah, I ran diversity at Sun in the 80s. And so I just, it was a day one kind of thing. Where it got hard for me to, and this is the honest truth, um, when we started working with big hardware companies, when we were porting our service to uh, hardware, uh, we started recruiting from big uh, our Samsung and LG and Motorola. And it was mostly men mm -hmm. who had experience. So it was like, it was like, mm. Yeah. My talent pool, but l let me tell you one more story. It's the week, I get a call from USA Today or something like that, mm -hmm. and it was the week that three prominent men in media were fired for sexual harassment, and three women took their place. And the mm -hmm. question was, what do you think about this? And uh, I said, you know, in the Silicon Valley, I always hear, I mean, I hear it all the time, uh, we'd have more women on our board, we'd have more women in the executive suite. It's a pipeline issue. There just aren't yeah. enough qualified women to do it. And I yeah. said, let's take the case of Matt Lauer, right? What'll we do? What'll we do? Oh, look, Hoda is sitting next to him. <laughs> oh, where shall we? Oh, what about the person at the desk already, right? Exactly. So when I talk to CEOs, I'm like, qualified leadership female leadership is sitting in front of you. Yeah, right. It's already there, right? So you think you got to go outside. Yeah, open your, and, and are you making sure that not when you hire, but every step of the way, are we giving everybody the same opportunity to pass or fail, right? Mm -hmm. Are we giving everybody the same access to information and other people, right? Yeah. I mean, the panel today, and I, I loved the panel today, yeah. was like, you know, I you go have a beer with them, yeah. which usually means you're going to go have a beer with somebody at 7.30 at night. Well, that kind of sucks if you have a family. So yeah. just, you know, that's a tiny example of if that's how you bond with the person that you're going to promote because they're the most successful by having a beer with them at 7.30, mm -hmm then you might have, by that simple gesture, 
right? Removed a great deal of your population. Here's what's going to happen now. The whole millennial thing. I hate the word millennial. It's like you were a millennial. Yes. I was a millennial. It's called early in your career. Guess what's happening to the millennials? <laughs> They're growing up and they don't want hubby to go and make the money and the wife to, you know. Oh, no. So we need to talk about families now. We need to talk about how people, you know, have a, a lot of different kinds of families and a lot of different ways of being the whole thing, not just at work. Of which, congratulations, you just had a little grandbaby girl. Did. Yes, I did. <laughs> She's wonderful. That is super exciting. Yeah, and I mean, that's my millennial son you know, who works in San Francisco. And, you know, at one point I'm like, why are you still in the job you're in? He's like, haircuts. I bring my dog to work. Are you kidding? I ride my bike, right? <laughs> and at some point that wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. Totally, right? totally. So, yeah, it's a, that's what's going to happen. Well, Patty, I really loved our conversation. Me too. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. And I hope you can attend some of the upcoming sessions for the rest of the conference. And thanks again. Thank you. Every week, we bring you a micro action. It can be as simple as something to think about or an action you can put into play today. For today, are you growing your revenue team? If you are, start with the goal and work backwards to fill the role. What does this role need to accomplish? What can you sacrifice? Start by looking at your team and seeing what's working and what's missing. Can you support greener reps and coach them up? Or do you need veteran reps who have seen it all? Is your team culture empowered or still defining itself? Understanding the must-haves of the role and the dynamics of your team will help you lock in the right people for the next stage of growth. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.